0: This morning, we're going to look at the book of Nahum. How many of you even know there's a book called Nahum in the Bible? <laughs> okay, if you it's like I told you about Bethlehem. If you read a little too fast or flip your pages a little fast in your Bible, you'll miss Nahum. It's just three chapters, but there's immense learning that we can have from the book of Nahum. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to the church, especially when we're doing studies from Books like these, it helps. I was taught, when you're listening, highlight, make notes in the Bible. And that really helps for us to go back. Pastor Victor was asking me, when did I study all these books? I said, very young as a believer where we used to have the Bible, mark it out, read it, etc. And today I go back to those notes, and I refer, and I'm able to teach, okay? So I encourage you to do that, whichever form. It may be a soft copy, you're used to it in a mobile, you're used to it in an iPad, or a tab, or a hard copy, whichever. I encourage you to please uh, follow through, because sometimes I'm not able to get all the scriptures on the screen. It's too much. So if you can get it and you're reading through it, it will help you to just follow through with something that is there. You know, Mahim is from a very small town in the central part of our nation. And one day, while he was walking back in the evening, you know, he was surprised when a man just appeared in front of him with a machete. And he just attacked him, and Mahind had nothing in his hand to protect himself. And the attack was not just once, but the attack happened several times. Three or four times he was cut in different parts of his body. And Mahind was so shocked. He's just a 46 years old man who is a pastor of home churches in the small town in the central part of our nation. And now he's recovering for his life. He's overcome a lot more of it, but he's still limping a little. And one thing, when you ask him, Mahind, what do you feel about this whole incident? He says, first of all, it's a privilege that he's getting persecuted. Secondly, he says, it's difficult for me to forgive that person, but I am forgiving that person nevertheless. Mahind is one of the many stories of persecution that has happened. And persecution, in the past few years, has been on the rise. You will know that between 1994 and 2001, there were 94 incidents reported in our nation of persecution. In 2018 alone, there were 300 incidents reported. So you see the exponential growth of persecution that is there, that's happening within our nation. And if you can put up that picture. You know, a few years back, there was a video released by ISIS. If you see that picture on the left-hand side, yeah. (laughs) On the left-hand side with those orange clad. These were Egyptian Coptic Christians. The ones that are in the black are ISIS terrorists. And they are in open recording a video Cutting off the heads of these Christians and publishing it online. And that is what is happening not only in our nation, but around the world. There's a rise against Christians and the faith that there is. If you see on the right-hand side, it's about Graham Stains. And he and his sons were burnt alive in our own nation for the faith. They were serving the lepers in that village there. And they had a rehabilitation center where they would love and care for the lepers. And they were burnt because they were Christians and they were sharing the gospel. Now, when you, some of you must have seen the movie. What was that movie title? The least of these, the least of these was the title of that movie. You would have seen that there's a rise. Now, there is a concern that is rising. And this morning, the message is not so much for you as an individual. It's more for us as a church. Okay, so please bear that in mind. God may speak to you individually, yes. But what I'm trying to address is about the whole church. Now, as a result of this rise in persecution, what is happening? The church seems to be slipping into a position of fear, apprehension, worry, saying, hey, what is happening? Now, the people who hate those who follow Jesus Christ are on the rise in our nation. They're becoming more and more powerful, they're becoming more and more controlling of many institutions, right? And the people are, are so much in control that the church and the rest of the minorities are beginning to move into fear. I have never heard Christians pray for elections as much as they do now. Elections not happening in our state, in some other state, but Christians are praying. Yes or no? But the question is this. It's good to pray. Thank God that we are able to pray. But the question is this. Are you praying out of a position of fear of what will happen to the church? Or are you praying from the position of faith saying, No matter what, Lord, you are still sovereign over your church, over your people. And to know that the Lord is able to move things around. And with this increasing animosity, I felt that the book of Nahum becomes very relevant for us. Because the book of Nahum is, in, is a book in which Nahum is addressing a nation. A nation that is an enemy of Israel or Judah. A nation that is tyrant in its ways and we will look at that very soon. And Assyria as a nation had troubled Israel a lot, troubled Judah a lot. To an extent when Nahum arrives in the scene, already the northern kingdom has been taken as captives. They've been taken as slaves from their own land to the land of Assyria. And now after several years of that captivity that Israel went into, Nahum is raised up in Judah and he is coming to speak to the Assyrians. He speak to the Assyrians. Let's look at uh, Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. Nahum chapter verse, w- w- 1, verse 1. Okay, before that, I forgot to mention the title of today's message. Okay? Nations a drop in a bucket. <laughs> Nations a drop in a bucket. We're going to look at that very soon, what it means to us. But let's look at Nahum chapter 1, verse 1. It's the oracle of Nineveh. Oracle of Nineveh. In another translation, you will see it as prophecy to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. So when he's addressing Nineveh, he's addressing the whole nation of Assyria. And it says it's the book of vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. Now, it's a vision. Can you imagine Nahum is sitting and he's seeing a vision. And he's writing down what he sees in a vision. Now, very often we think prophecy is what only we hear and we write down, but Nahum is actually seeing a prophetic vision of what will happen to Assyria, and he is writing down. Now, the good news is, or I don't know what it's good or bad, we know nothing about Nahum, except he's from el That's why he's called an El-Koshite. We know nothing about Nahum. He's not mentioned in the Scripture after or before. There's only one thing, Capernaum. You know Capernaum? Okay, it's a city, it's called as the village of Nahum. That apart, you don't have any reference to Nahum. When I was thinking of that, you know what spoke to me? I said, Nahum was actually, you know what? He was just faithful to what God called him to do. God gave him a vision, told him to write it down, go proclaim to Assyria. He proclaimed and he kept quiet. That's all. And it impacted, it impacted the whole world then, actually. So if you are called to do something very simple, Don't shy away. Just obey and do it. You never know how the Lord is able to use that. God may tell you to just go visit somebody. God may tell you to go speak a word to somebody. God may tell you to write a letter to somebody. God may tell you to do something very simple as go give 1,000 rupees to somebody. Just do it. You never know how God can use that in a big way. And that's the story of Nahum. Let's move on. It's a prophecy and uh, against against Assyria. Now, Nahum appears in the scene almost 150 years after Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? That's the only minor prophet everybody knows. Right? Jonah. Actually, it's irony that we remember the one who disobeyed. (laughs) We don't remember the ones who obeyed. It's because of the story, I know. But Nahum is appearing 150 years. If you remember the story of Jonah, he goes, speaks to the Assyrians, Nineveh will fall 40 days from hence, and the Assyrians repent, and God forgives them, and Nora, Jonah is not amused about it. Jonah is upset with God. And many years later, the ones who repented are dead and gone, and Assyrians go back to their old, cruel ways, and their cruelty was so much that, you know, I mean, as we describe, you will cringe when you hear about the Assyrian cruelty that was there and here Nahum has one theme in the entire three chapters there are only three chapters in the book of Nahum there's only one theme and the theme is destruction of Assyria and encouragement to Judah destruction of Assyria and encouragement to Judah and ironically the word Nahum means comfort and he is actually prophesying destruction When you read it, you'll wonder, what's comfort got to do with destruction? Actually, while he's speaking destruction to the enemies, he's bringing comfort to the people of God, the Judah. Okay? That's what it's talking about. Now let's know a little bit about the Assyrians. Okay? If you can put up that map, please. Assyria ruled for around 750 years as a superpower. Can you imagine that? Assyria, 750 years. And in the then known world, they were the superpower. There was no nation that could stand against it. In fact, they say, so far, there is no country that's had as huge an army that Assyria had. We will read about it. One night, angel killed 1,85,000 of the Assyrian army. Can you imagine the size of the army? It was a huge, huge army but the way they expanded the kingdom was very cruel not this the map the way they expanded was was very cruel they were very brutal they would they would get the people as captives and they would put a hook to their tongue and they will drag them okay and the, they would bring them to the leader and the captive kneels down there and the captain will Take the arrow, and he'll just try to pierce it through the eyes to make him blind. And they'll chop off their head, and the head collection of heads was a monument for them. Because to say how victorious they are, how successful they are. And that's a kind of cruelty. And Nahum is prophesying to Assyria, not when they are on the decline. Naum is prophesying to Assyria when they are at the zenith of their success. They are at the pinnacle of their success. You cannot even imagine that Assyria would go down one day. He's he's seen 750 years of success of Assyria. And he is now prophesying, saying, Assyria, you're going to go down. It's impossible. Assyrians can't believe it. Judah can't believe it. Okay, now this is when God intervenes. If you can get up that poster, we need to talk. Okay, this is where God intervenes to Assyria. He tells Assyria, hey, listen, I want to talk to you. And he brings Nahum. That's a poster which I picked from online which says, we need to talk, God. And God is trying to catch the attention of the people. So now let's dive right into the book of Nahum, and we'll go chapter by chapter. First chapter, I'll dwell a little longer, okay? Uh, because there's so much to glean from the Chapter 2 and chapter 3, I will skim through, but we will get a lot of lessons from that. The three points that I've got is from chapter 1, is Nineveh's downfall proclaimed. Here is Nahum standing against this mighty nation, which has ruled for 750 years. Can we have those three points, please, Sudeep? Nineveh's downfall proclaimed. Nineveh's destruction described. You know, he not only tells about the downfall, he also tells how they will fall. <laughs> okay? And then chapter 3, he's giving Nineveh sin, inevitable doom. He's also saying why they will fall. So he's saying what will happen to them how it will happen to them, and why it is happening to them. So he's giving this picture, standing in front of this mighty, mighty nation. So let's look at Nineveh's downfall proclaimed. Let's read Nahum chapter 1, verse 2 onwards. It says, The Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. When you read that word, keep the verse, please. When you read that word, the Lord is a jealous God, sometimes Christians can wonder, how can it be? God is jealous. Because we, we think of jealousy as what? Now, John here has a Mac, and I have a poor Microsoft Surface. Okay? Now, I am feeling jealous of him because I don't want a Mac. I want a Mac Daddy, I want a Mac. Okay, so I'm crying to God, I want a Mac Daddy. That's a song by Toby Mac, I want a Mac Daddy. So I'm jealous of him because he owns a Mac. Now this jealousy is negative jealousy because it is self-centered. But the jealousy that God is talking about is I am being jealous for John because Charles is attacking him. And I'm concerned about the well-being of John. John, I'm trying to protect him, and I'm jealous of him because I want the best for him. So when God says that he is jealous, he is jealous for the well-being of Judah. He's jealous for the well-being of Judah. And this is not a verse that is being told told to Judah. This is a verse being told to Assyria, saying, listen, my God is jealous on my behalf. And he is a God of vengeance. And he's not going to spare you. His wrath is there. He's filled with wrath. And the Lord takes vengeance on his foes. And Assyria, remember, you are the foe of God. Right? And so he's reminding who our God is. That he is a God who's jealous of his church. He's jealous of us. And because of our well-being, God will take vengeance on his people. Let's go to the next verse. In next verse, it says, The Lord is slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm. The clouds are a dust of a feet." Now, I just want to give you a context for those of you who are interested in going back and reading the book of Nahum, okay, to study. It's very simple. When you read chapter 1, you will get really confused. You know Why? Because he makes one statement towards Assyria. And the next statement he's making towards Judah. So now he said God is a God jealous and seeking vengeance. And now he's saying God is slow to anger. So it may confuse you. It's almost like, imagine my enemy is standing in front of me here. And I'm proclaiming curses towards him. I'm fighting with him. But while I'm fighting with him, I am parallelly talking to my son who is there. Now this enemy is trying to attack my son. I'm hitting and fighting and defending against this enemy, but parallelly I'm talking to my son saying, don't worry son, you'll be all right. I have the strength to overcome this. I know how to handle this guy, and you, you're going to be destroyed. You son, don't worry about it. Can you see this? It's almost like a stripe. Talking to the enemy, talking to the child. Talking to the enemy, talking to the child. And that's what's happening here. So this verse 3 is to Judah to say, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. It's reminding Judah say, Judah, remember, the enemy has overpowered you. The enemy has taunted you. The enemy has, has thrown all kind of disdain against you. But God will not leave the guilty, go unpunished. It's a word of comfort that he's bringing here. You know, when when God is saying God is slow to anger, sometimes we as Christians can mistake that verse of slow to anger, mistake the patience of God to God's injustice. What he's trying to say here is God is patient, but he's not unjust. God is patient because he's loving he's slow to anger but he will bring the guilty to punishment he will bring the guilty to judgment are you getting what i'm saying now we we like we like James and Peter and John we are people who when somebody says something we like to call fire upon them immediately isn't it when somebody speaks to you badly you'll say lord let the roof of his tongue be stuck to his let his tongue be stuck to his roof Or let him be eaten by worms, or let fire come down. We like that vengeance immediately. But what God is saying to Judah is: listen, the church may suffer for a while, but ultimately God will never leave his church, leave the guilty unpunished. He is going to take care of what is what needs to be known, what needs to be seen. Let's read verse 4 onwards. It's talking again to Judah here. It says. This you should read. It will ignite your faith as you read this. Can we all read this together? He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run die. Bashan and Carmel wither and blossom of Lebanon fade. The next verse, five. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Verse six. Who can... Withstand his indignation. Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Now you may wonder, he said God is slow to anger, right? Suddenly he's talking about the power and the might of God. His way is in the whirlwind, the mountains tremble before him, the hills melt, and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Why is he talking about that? For us to know the context, we need to go to second kings. It's a story where Sennacherib, who is the, who is the king of Assyria during the time when Hezekiah was the king in Judah. Northern kingdom is already taken by Assyria, and Sennacherib comes to Judah, and he is beginning to taunt them. He is beginning to mock them. And he tells them, where is your God? Let's read those verses. And he is is asking Hezekiah to surrender to Assyria. In the natural, in the natural, Hezekiah should have surrendered. Hezekiah's army was not even one-tenth or one, I don't know how small it was compared to Sennacherib's army. And Sennacherib's empire was so huge, Hezekiah should have just given it. But what Hezekiah does is he goes in and prays. He lays this letter before God and then begins to tell God something. But before that, we will see, after he prays, this is the word that comes in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 to 13. God raises up Isaiah and sends a message through Isaiah to Hezekiah. And this is the message that he gets. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let, this is, sorry, this is uh, Sennacherib talking to Hezekiah through his messengers. He says this, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given to the into the hands of the, next verse. Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria, verse 11. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely, and you will be delivered. And it goes on, verse 12, which is interesting. It says, did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gosen, Haran, Rezev and the people of Eden. So what, what Sennacherib is trying to do is tell Judah, you are but another normal nation. All the other gods of the nations have not been able to save them from Assyrian hand. Who are you? You will also surrender. Don't let your God deceive you. This is what he says to Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah is shuddering and he goes in and he begins to pray. I urge you to go back home and read 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 19. And you read the prayer of Hezekiah when he hears this threat. That's a message by itself. That's a study by itself. It's a beautiful prayer that he prays. And after that, God sends him Isaiah with this message. He says, therefore, verse 32, therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a, build a siege ramp against it. And verse 35, it says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. And verse thirty. Six. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Reneveh and stayed there. The verse continues, but we go to verse 37. One day, while he was worshipping in the temple of his god Nishra, his sons Adramalek and Sharazar killed, killed him with the sword. Now here's a man who, whose pride was oozing out. Who? The enemy of Israel, enemy of Judah. His pride is oozing out so much. He is coming and threatening, saying, who, who, which God has saved any nation from my hand? Will your God save? Jerusalem will fall to me. You come and serve me. You come and give me gold, etc." He, he threatens him, taunts him with all that pride. But you know what? The word of the Lord came to Judah. Judah, you may be puny, but remember, Sennacherib will not even set his feet into this land. He will go back. And very specifically, Isaiah says he will be killed in his own country. And who kills him? His own sons. His own son. Can you imagine Hezekiah is all worried that Sennacherib will enter in. Here comes a word of comfort from Isaiah. Next thing he hears is Sennacherib is on his way back to Assyria. Why? Because God intervened. God intervened and did what seemed impossible to be a possibility. He sent one angel, and it slayed 1,85,000 people were dead. Soldiers. Can you imagine the piles of dead bodies that would have been there? King Sennacherib said, this is no ordinary God. Let me go back. And he goes back, and his own sons kill him. My friends... When when, In our nation, also this is happening. Why am I trying to talk about book of Nahum and Assyria? Because in our nation right now, there are people rising up where their pride is oozing out of their ears and nose and mouth. They are making statements to ridicule the people. They they think they become invisible. They think that the nation is already under their control, and they think they can use power. They can use might. They can use the media. They can use the institution. They can influence everything to a point to make us feel small. And church is cringing under this fear. But here is a word of hope. The God of Hezekiah is our God. The God of Judah is our God the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob is our God the God of Jesus Christ who was rose from the dead is our God if he can save Judah then by one angel how much more not now that he can protect his church hallelujah Hallelujah. we should not cringe in fear but we should walk in confidence saying no matter what happened our God will not let us go If you look through the history of Israel and history of church, now you can put that empire's picture, please. I'm not sure if you're able to see, there were many nations who rose up and said, might is right. We have the power, that is the right thing to do. There was the empire of the Egyptians who enslaved the israelites there's the empire of the assyrian for 750 years they ruled and there's the empire of the babylonians who conquered the Assyrians. then there's the empire of the persian and the greeks and the romans where are these kingdoms now nowhere nowhere where is israel still exists where is the church still exists you don't hear of Assyrian name, they are lost. You don't hear of a Babylonian name, they are lost. But the church still goes on 2,000 years from now. You know, John Otberg, some of you would have read many of his books. He's a well-known Christian author and a speaker and a leadership guru in the Christian dem. He was being interviewed on one of the channels and he was asked a question, a very simple question. You have a comfort of your home in California. Why are you traveling across the country and to different parts of the world just to tell the people that the leadership model of Jesus is the best model? And he smiles. John Ottenberg smiles, and then he looks at the audience, and he asks them a question. Let's assume 2,000 years back you were a gambler. It's a Christian crowd, they cringe like you do. But imagine for a while you were a gambler and you had to put all your bet. You had only two options. Either the Roman Empire and its army or on this very little-known rabbi with his inexperienced 12 people. On whom would you have put your money? The audience smiled. And John Otberg. Very simply said this. He said, Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that we are still naming our children Matthew, James, Sarah, and Mary while we call our dogs Nero and Caesar? (laughs) And he said, I rest my case. My friends, empires have risen, empires have gone. But Christianity continues to flourish because it's not a human institution. The body of Christ is the body that is governed by God himself. No weapon formed against us will prosper. We may go, but the church will continue to live on. Empires will come and empires will go. People who think they've really become so big that no one can touch them Learn from history, my friend, if you are listening. And if you are against Christian, if you are listening on the YouTube, you need to know from history, empires have come, empires have gone, but the church still continues on. Amen. Let us continue. Nahum moves on to focus on comforting Judah now. And this verse I like. I want to make this as the key verse in the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, can you read this? The Lord is good, a refuge in the time of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. Can you see this? He speaks against Nineveh and then turns to Judah and says, The Lord is good. He is a refuge to those who trust him. But to you, he is a flood (laughs) that you cannot overcome. You know, I like that verse. My friend, this morning, the church sometimes turns to the political influence to stay safe. There's nothing wrong in trying to have people with whom you connect, but I want us to know as a church, if we have to stay firm through the centuries, we need to know that we got to make our God our refuge. We don't run to the politician who can help us or a D.I.G. who can help us or an I.G. that can help us. We run to God. Lay this letter before God like Hezekiah did and he says, God, yes, it's true. Assyrians have conquered many nations, but you are not a God like those gods. You are the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you are able to do and God did. And God will do today to the church the same things that he did then. I am always amused. Can you think of this Roman Empire? It was like, my God, they said all roads lead to Rome. You know that, even now we say that, right? All roads lead to Rome. So powerful, so much of influence. And you know who they were threatened of? few puny Christians. (laughs) Rightfully so. You know why? Today, Rome is the center of Christianity. Can you see the influence that the Lord can bring into the nations over the centuries? Let's read on, verse 9. Whatever they plot against the Lord, He will bring to an end. Trouble will not come the second time. I laughed when I read this verse. Number one is, we know that the extremists in our nation right now are strategizing very well how to how to curb the growth of the church or how to, how to really put the church down, okay? And God is saying, they, whatever they plot against the Lord, He will bring to an end. Let them plot what they want. Who cares? But you know what? I like this verse. Trouble will not come the second time. If you're a proper Bangalorean like me, you know, when you have a road rage, in Kannada they'll say, Manel helbit Bandidya. Okay, that means... I hope you told in your house you're returning because you're not going to return. I'm going to kill you now. That's the road rage, correct? God is saying the same to (laughs) Assyria. God is saying, trouble will not come the second time because the first time it is so harsh, you're going to be wiped out. Let's read on. Let's read on. Verse 12. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they're huge. Yes, can you imagine? Assyria is huge. Judah is just a speck as compared to Assyria. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. And God's comfort to Israel, to the enemy, to the comfort. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Wow, isn't that a promise? To tell, when the God, God tells us, although you felt the affliction all this while, I'm not going to afflict you no more. Let's go on. Verse 14. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will prepare your grave, for you are wild. Can you imagine? You know? People say he dug his own grave, right? Assyria, when he taunted God, he dug his own grave. God said, not only king, Assyrians will have no descendants left. Now, we have the privilege. For Nahum, this was the future, right? But for us, this is the past. We are seeing Nahum's future already. And we know now that Assyria... Does anybody have a relative among the Assyrians? They're gone. Nobody, nobody knows where the Assyrians are. They're just wiped out. My friends, this is God speaking. When he says something, he will do it. Whether it's 10 years, 15 years, 100 years, 150 years, God is faithful to his promise. He will fulfill what he has promised. Assyria is wiped out today. And look on. The comfort to Israel or Judah, I I use it synonymously. I mean, Israel and Judah. Bear with me, I'm referring to Judah in this book. Verse 15, it says this. Look there on the mountains, the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. While this enemy is taunting you, Judah, you celebrate your festivals, Judah. Fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you and they will be completely destroyed. And do you know Assyria never invaded Judah after that? It was the Babylonians who came and invaded because of the sins, which we will look in the future, minor prophets that we look at. But just to let you know, God, wow, He's such a faithful God. What He speaks, He will not let go. And when it said, look to the mountains of feet of Him who brings good news, I couldn't help but think of the Mount Calvary. Look to the mountain and see the feet of him who brings good news. And that good news flows from the cross for us now. And we are able to experience that peace because of what Christ has done for us. And God has destroyed the enemy once and for all. Amen. Amen. Are you glad to be part of the church now? Aren't you glad that God is our refuge? Aren't we glad that God is our protector? Aren't you glad it's God who taunts our enemies? Aren't you glad that God stands up and speaks on our behalf? And God will stand up for us. Amen. Let's move to the chapter 2. Nineveh's destruction described. Chapter 2. You know, I don't know, some of you probably were never witness to the Iraq war, but we had the privilege of warring Iraq war. For the first time, there was live reporting from the war field. When the NATO forces attacked Iraq, unlike how George Bush said, he said, the then president of U.S., he said, it's a shock and awe. He said, and we from the rest of the world were in awe when we could see those missiles flying. And the reporters were reporting, missile is flying here, missiles flying there. Here's the attack, here's the tanker, giving us live data. And we were all so thrilled. But just imagine for a while, this is not the present war. But there's a future war that's going to be happening. And the same reporter is standing there and reporting to you all the details of what will happen in the future. He's going to tell you the specifics, which direction the missile is going to come. What's the strategy of NATO going to be? How they're attacking? Who are their army people? Who are the ground personnel? Who are the air personnel, etc.? Futuristic war. The description is being given. How will that be? Seems impossible, isn't it? Seems impossible. But you know, this is what Nahum did in chapter 2. When Assyria was at its pinnacle of success, now Nahum comes and tells about a war that's going to happen and how Assyria is going to be destroyed. He gives the specific, so specifically you'll be, you'll be, you'll be amazed at how, how specific he gets. Let's read a few verses in verse 1 first of all he warns assyria word of warning to assyria there are some verbs he uses there the attacker advances against you in a way guard yourself it's almost like saying you know there are there are some of these heroes no no matter what you do they escape in the movie not in real life i think i don't know there was one movie of a prison break or something i remember watching it in my sleep in the on the flight where this hero, he can escape any prison, right? And now he to taunt the prisoners, saying, "You, you lock me up, whichever the highly guarded, I will escape from there." God is taunting, is serious, saying, "Put your guards, guard your fortress. Come on, go ahead. Watch the road, see who's coming. Brace yourself, marshal all your strength." It's funny, isn't that? God speaks sometimes like us. <laughs> He's saying all this and was. The next verse, he begins to give the descriptions of what will happen. He says in verse 3, the shields of the soldiers are red, and the warriors are clad in scarlet. And you know, he even tells the color of the dress the warriors will wear. He's saying they will wear a, keep, keep the picture on please. He will wear the scarlet uniform. And you know, Babylonians' soldiers' uniform was scarlet. And who attacked Assyria and defeated them? Babylonians. Now, in a time like this, when Nahum is speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking to this mighty nation. Please bear that in mind. He's talking to the superpower. Okay? And he's telling this puny little Babylon. Babylon was one of the territories that Assyria ruled. Okay? They were not even a nation by themselves. They were just a territory. And now he's predicting, saying, Nahum didn't know it will be the Babylonians. He just gave the uniform color. It's much later, Babylonians had a red color uniform or a scarlet. And here he's saying, this puny nation will turn against you. Now I know for some of us it's a little difficult to understand. Let me give you an example of our current countries. Will that help? Now most of us have been reading in the news about Hong Kong. The unrest in Hong Kong, correct? Now you know that Hong Kong, I'm not giving a prophetic word here. I'm just giving this as an example, okay? So don't think what I'm speaking is prophetic. I'm just giving as an example. (laughs) Hong Kong is a small collection of tiny islands. Okay? It's hardly about 60, 70 kilometers in the in the whole islands if you travel. There's hardly it is a very small, small nation. Now, Hong Kong, there's an unrest against China, which is, a, which is greater China is huge. They say in the world, if there's one power that can take on U.S. today, it's only China. Okay, such a, such a mighty nation that there is. And imagine if a prophet rises up and says, Hong Kong will rule China one day. And not only that, Hong Kong will expand the territory of China beyond what China has acquired. How will that sound? And he gives you the specifics of who from Hong Kong will do it and how he will do it. It seems impossible, isn't it? You know what that encourages me to know? When God gives a word, he always gives the impossible. He calls the barren and says, you will become a mighty nation. He will call the weakling and say, in you and through you, warrior Gideon, I will proclaim my strength and I will show forth that victory through you. Through the weak, Jehoshaphat, like Pastor Charles said in worship, three nations are coming, It's impossible for Jehoshaphat to fight, but God says the battle belongs to the Lord, and the Lord makes it happen. The three nations fight against each other, kill each other, and Jehoshaphat is saying, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And he's just singing away to glory. And that's the encouragement we can have. No matter how mighty the nations may be, no matter how big the extremists in our nation can get, no matter what persecutions can rise for the church within this nation, I want you to know that our God is able to take what is even not heard of today, the people that are not heard of today, and make that very same weaklings to become and empower the mighty nation and to overcome, and to live, and to prove to say that God is the God who is still the God of the church. As a church, we need to be bold in every situation. We should never cringe, never fear. We should never give in to apprehension. If you are sitting here, and you've been reading the news, and you've been telling yourself, maybe it's time for me to move to another nation. I want to tell you, you move to another nation is fine. But if you're moving because of fear, this is the word you stay on and see what the Lord will do in our nation. He will give the victory to his church. And you will witness that, what the Lord is able to do. Hallelujah. Let's move on. Verse 6. Verse 6. He says the river gates are thrown open. And the palace collapses. If if you're able to see the photograph on the right-hand side, that's Nineveh's picture. If you see, there's a water body around it. That's Tigris River. And that was the strength of Nineveh. Nobody could attack because the water covered it all around. And here he's saying the river gates are wide open. He's telling how this attack will happen. And the palaces will collapse. And in verse 8 he says, Nineveh is like a pool or whose water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry. But no one turns back. You know, Babylon, when they, when Nebuchadnezzar, who was the father of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a military leader. He began to rebel against Assyria. He went territory by territory. Finally, he came to Nineveh. When he came to Nineveh, he couldn't attack Nineveh because Nineveh had this water body. You know what they did? They dammed the rivers in different places. And the water started flowing into the city much more than what the city can handle. Buildings began to collapse. And the whole Nineveh was washed out. And Nahum is talking about it years before it happened. Can you see the details? Babylon actually destroyed by damming the rivers and letting the water. And Nineveh did become a pool as a city. And they were destroyed totally. Wow. Isn't it wonderful? Assyrians thought, we have a foolproof method. God said, you are a fool. My method is beyond that. I can raise your very strength to become your weakness, and God is speaking to Assyrians. Wonderful, isn't it? And now again, I like the mocking that God brings. Verse chapter two, verse eleven. He says, "Where now was the lion's den, the palace, the place where they fed their young, where the lion and the lioness went and the cubs with nothing to fear?" Now, ironically. Assyrians' national symbol was lion. Okay? And God says, Where are your lions now? Where are your lions? You boasted about your lion. You said, My cub, I, I have a prey, not only for now, but even for my cubs for the future. They thought they were impregnable. They thought they were impenetrable. And every nation thought it's impossible to beat Assyria. But God says, Where are your lions? Where is your river? Where is it? See, it will be destroyed totally. And verse 13, it says, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. Can we have verse 13, please? I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots in smoke. The voice of your messengers will no longer be heard. You remember Senacherib sent a messenger? Now God is saying, Judah, don't worry. They will not even be able to come and speak to you. No fax, no email, nothing. All networked down in Assyria. They cannot send you any more threat emails. They cannot send you any more threats. God is going to be the one. And I like that. He says this twice in chapter 3. He says it again. I am against you. You know, this, this, I mean, it kicked up enthusiasm within me like no other. You know, it reminded me of Saul. When he was on the road to Damascus, you know he was persecuting the church, right? And when Jesus meets him, you know what Jesus says? Why are you persecuting me? My friend, if you are a foe of the church and if you are listening, you are not against me, I am not against you. My God says, I am against you. You can take me head on. You can never take God head on. Hallelujah. If God tells to our enemies, those who strategize against us, we can tell them, my Lord will take care of you. Because when you harm me, who are you harming? You're harming my God. And when you harm my God, wow, you touch the apple of his eye. He's not going to keep quiet. God will say, the vengeance is mine and I will take it. Leave it to me. That brings us to the end of chapter 2. Let us very quickly now look at chapter Three, on why did God bring this destruction on Assyria? If you remember, book of Amos, when God spoke about judgment against Judah, he also gave reasons why he's bringing destruction, right? And same God is telling Assyria why he's bringing destruction on the Assyrians. Okay, verse chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, to the city of blood. The city of Nineveh was literally the city of blood. I'll show you a picture soon. They will just chop off people's heads like no man's business. You are not an Assyrian, you go. If you watch some of these movies like Schindler's List and etc., what happened during the Holocaust, you will find in those movies some of these army guys who shot people for fun's sake. Assyrians were like that it was really murderous people city of blood full of lies and full of plunder they boasted they would go to other nations plunder the nation and get all the riches and they will put it in the temple of their gods and in their palaces and they would boast about their plunder and with never without victims And verse 3 says this, chapter 3, verse 3. Charging cavalry, flashing sword, piles of dead. In fact, archaeologists have pulled out inscriptions of what the Assyrians have sketched on the walls and things. And they find piles of dead bodies inscribed. Can you imagine? You murder somebody and you put all the record of that. Yourself and you keep it. Assyrians were so cruel, they did it. Bodies without number. People stumbling over corpses. You're walking, you stumble. Oh my God, one more dead. Oh my God, one more dead. Stumbling, so many lying all around. Can you imagine the cruelty of this nation? And God is saying, I am coming against you. Let's move on. Verse 4, all because of the wanton lust of prostitute. Alluring the mistress of sorceries. I like this because God's also bringing the spiritual aspect here. They were using their gods, the spirituality, witchcraft, and sorceries in order to win against their enemies. Peoples by their witchcraft, it says. Let's move to verse 5. Again, God reiterates and saying, I am against you, declares the Lord. And I like this. I will lift up your skirt over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. You are proud of your glory. A day will come when your shame will be seen by the nations. Can you see the opposites of what God is prophesying? And Assyria did become a shame to the nation. People couldn't believe the 750 years long ruled empire just got wiped out. It became a shame. And this is what the Lord says. Let's move on. Verse 8. Are you better than Thebes situated on Nile with water around her? Now, just a few years back, Assyria had conquered Thebes. Now, Thebes is an Egyptian city which was in the Nile. So, Nile was surrounding it, so there was water all around it. Assyrians themselves went and captured them. So, God is reminding them, saying, if you could do that to the Thebes, don't you think I can do that to you? And he goes on to say what they did. The river was her defense and the water her wall. And then it goes in verse 10. Yet she was not, was she not taken captive and went into exile? And you know what the Assyrians did when they captured Thebes? You read that. Her infants were dashed to pieces at every street. The cruelty of Assyrians, why the Lord had to bring judgment on this land. Verse 11 I like this. Again, another mockery that God brings, verse 11. He says, look at your troops. Chapter 3, verse 11. Look at your troops. They are all weaklings. <laughs> Who is he talking to? Can you imagine? From Nahum's perspective, he's standing against the U.S. Assume. this one little fellow who's from Timbuktur. Unknown nation. And he's telling U.S., what is your air force, army technology? You are all like women. One version says you are like women. You are like weakling. Now, no, no. What is their hard feelings for women here? In those days, only men fought the war. The women were dainty darlings at home. So because of that, he's saying if women had to fight the war, they don't have the muscle mass or they're not prepared for the war. He's not putting the women down here. So he's trying to say they're weaker. And he's calling the Assyrian army an army of weaklings. Where is your army, your troops? And he says the gates of your land are wide open. And he concludes with this verse in chapter 3, verse 9. He says, nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you will clap their hands at your fall for who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nahum hence this whole book with a question and also with a statement. Assyria, your wounds will never be healed. My friends, though it is a judgment against Assyria, it's a comfort for the church. Those who try to harm us will not go unpunished Those who try to harm us, God will protect. Those who try to harm us, we need to know God is against them. Those who try to harm us, yes, they'll have a victory in a year, in a two, in a three. Look back in history and learn your lesson. The church will continue on. Church will continue to flourish. So when we go through tough times in our faith, Especially those of you who are listening online from cities and towns from north of India or several places where you're going through persecution. I want you to be encouraged. Maybe now you're going through trouble, but don't give up faith because our God is the same God of God of Assyria, God of Judah, who protected them against Assyrians and destroyed the Assyrians, and we still continue on. Romans tried to put the church down. They burnt the Bibles. They killed the leaders. They tried to burn the buildings down. They put Paul under house arrest for many years. They said no preaching the gospel anymore. The Romans are gone. The gospel continues. And we need to be encouraged today to say, our God is a God. And I want to conclude with this verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Isaiah Chapter 40, verse 15. I like this. I just brought a bucket. I thought, for sometimes when we read the word, we don't get a perspective of what it means, okay? So I brought something to illustrate to you what it really means. Can we all read that verse together? It says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket, okay? Now what does that mean? Let me take this filler, okay? For the camera purpose, I'm going to do it slowly, okay? Can you imagine this bucket is so big, right? I wanted to actually bring a bigger bucket, but this is the best I could get. This bucket, which is empty right now, nothing, correct? Now God is saying that the nations, not just a nation, nations are like a drop in a bucket, Where is the drop in this? Not there anymore. Just lost in the whole bucket. Nations of the world are nothing but a drop in a bucket. My friends, we can be encouraged to know that those who are against us, you know what God says? They are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. Now imagine, there's dust on this piano. The nations are like dust. God takes it and says, gone. And you know what he says? He says, he weighs the islands as if they were not dust, fine dust. (laughs) Not dust, fine dust. You know the fine dust? You get the special cloth to wipe that micro something that absorbs those fine dust. And islands of the world are like fine dust before our God. Aren't to you to know who we serve today? I want us to have this perspective. This bucket is too small to describe who God is and to compare Him to the nation, which are like a drop in the bucket. But yet God says, I am the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the Lord Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who was, and who is, and who ever will be. I am the God who is the Alpha, and I am the Omega. In me is the beginning. In me is the end. The nations may come. Nations will go. But my church, my body will continue to flourish, and we will stand strong. We will proclaim that our God is the God of love, and our God is a God Almighty. He's a God of justice who will bring vengeance upon the nation. He is slow to anger but his patience doesn't mean he's unjust. He will not let the guilty go unpunished and he will be the one who will fulfill. The nations will be taken like this, like a dust and blown away and we will still continue to rule and reign with our King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. When you are in fear, go back to chapter 1 verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7, which says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. When you're going through persecution, remember, the Lord is good. And he is the refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust Him. Amen. Why don't you turn to somebody and say, the Lord is good. A refuge in the times of my trouble. He cares because I trust in Him. Amen. Amen.